0: Season one, episode six, Tyrion Purple, more than just the name of a character from Game of Thrones, part one. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Art History by Lakshmi podcast. I am your host, Anu or Lakshmi, whichever you prefer, and I'm glad you are back. If you're new here, I'm a professional artist and I have a passion for history, linguistics, politics, and art. And I like to talk about those subjects a lot, so I just made a podcast about it. A little shameless plug before we begin today. Check out my paintings and prints at artlakshmi.com. That's art, L-A-K-S-H-M-I dot com. And if you have something to say about this episode, want to interact with me, or just have a remark about art history or just about anything, find me on Twitter at art underscore by underscore Lakshmi. Let's start this episode with a shout out to David Foster with the History Cafe podcast. You should seriously check it out. He covers a wide range of topics, and they're all so interesting. I always find I learn a lot, and I get a lot of insight into history through his podcasts. So be sure to check it out. He's available wherever you get your podcasts, so don't wait too much longer. And after you're done listening to me, go check him out. I was rewatching an episode from Game of Thrones, and not season 7 and 8, because those suck ass, and I realized I should do an episode on Tyrion. The color, not the Game of Thrones character. Tyrion Purple has a long and interesting history, and its story didn't fizzle out the way Game of Thrones did, so really, it befits a whole episode all to itself. What's Tyrion Purple? and why do we need a whole episode on it? Well, because it's the oldest, most famous, most expensive, most royal, most vibrant, and possibly also the most foul-smelling dye in the world. So really, how can I not do an episode on this? And it has a lot to live up to after all those superlatives I just used. Before we get into the actual history of Tyrian Purple, let's check out a pretty fun story by the Greek writer Julius Pollux on the origin of Tyrian Purple. Pollux wrote that Heracles was walking on the beach with a nymph named Tyro, and Heracles had the hots for her and had been trying to get it on with her for a while, so this little outing came in handy. They were accompanied by Heracles' dog, and his dog wanders off and takes a bite of one of the shellfish on the beach. The shellfish happens to be a murex shell. The dog's mouth immediately turned purple. At first, Heracles thinks it's blood, but no. It's a deep reddish purple color that somehow manages to impress Tyro so much that she tells Heracles that she'll sleep with him if he would bring her a garment in the same color. Heracles is like, Uh, why didn't you say this earlier? That's all I gotta do? And quickly fashions a garment out of the secretions of multiple murex shells and proceeds to get busy with Tyro. But the reality is a lot less glamorous, and the origins of Tyrian purple are shrouded in mystery. Up until recently, the origins were attributed to the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians get their name from a Greek word, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the word because my ancient Greek is non-existent, but that word means blood red or purple. So Phoenicia is thought to mean land of purple. But because nothing in art history is ever that fucking uncomplicated, the Minoans are also a possible origin for the same Tyrian purple. But regardless of the origin, Phoenicians were noted throughout antiquity for their mastery of Tyrian purple and dominated the trade of the dye. Tyrian purple, by the way, gets its name from the city of Tyre in modern Lebanon, which was famous for its dyers and was an important source of the dye. So how does one make this dye? Well, sit down because it's really fucking unappetizing. We don't have clear recipes because the dyers guarded their secrets fiercely, but Tyrian purple is thought to be made from not one, but two species of shellfish, the murex and the buxinum. The buxinum is found on rocks in comparatively shallow water while the murex lives in deeper water. The part that's needed for the dye is a creamy liquid contained in the vein of the murex shellfish. And to complicate things even further, let's fuck it up a little bit more, because the murex has to be alive for the liquid to be extracted. As soon as it dies, the murex gets rid of the liquid, so we are left without any pigment to make a dye. The murex also has to be harvested at the end of winter or very early in the spring, before the egg-laying season, because they become weakened and have less strong tinting ability. Does this mean they only harvested the murex during winter time? Not really, but that was the peak season. So the murex was baited, caught, and then taken from the shell and its pigment rich vein quickly extracted before the coloring matter could deteriorate. The juice from the glands was then put in a basin, which was then placed in sunlight. The rays of the sun changed the color of the juice from white to yellow green to then green then violet, and then a red, which turned darker and darker. The process had to be stopped at exactly the right time to obtain the desired color, which could range from bright crimson to a dark purple, the color of dried blood. The smaller buxanum, on the other hand, was crushed with its shell. Dyers added salt and let it ferment for three days. And this Glorious smelling concoction was then simmered in a lead vessel because brass and iron were carefully avoided because the dyers thought that the metal would alter the dye. After 10 days of gentle boiling and stirring, if you weren't dead from the smell, the dye was ready. But this process reduced the quantity of the dye so much that 8,000 pounds of the initial pulp we started off with produced around 500 pounds of the dye. The most expensive and the most desired shade of Tyrian purple was achieved by dyeing cloth first in the Murex concoction and then later dipping it in the buxinum to get that much desired deep clotted blood hue. But was it all worth it? Or was it just the ancient equivalent of buying a zip tie for $1,000 for the brand name? Or was Tyrian purple really genuinely valuable? To get one gram of purple dye 10,000 murex snails had to be sacrificed. Which is a miracle that they aren't extinct by now, but the insane amount of snails needed to create the dye and the intricate process made Tyrian Purple incredibly expensive. But it wasn't just that that made Tyrian Purple stand out. What was extraordinary about Tyrian Purple was that it was not just light fast, but it was reported to be more saturated and luminous as time went by. While it sucks to be a murex snail, their juice Created incredible pigment for dyeing throughout history. And if this process, by the way, to acquire Tyrian purple sounds like it might smell fucking disgusting to you, you are not alone. All over the ancient world, people had to hold their breath around anything Tyrian purple. And apparently, people commented that the strong, fishy smell seemed to be just as permanent as the color itself. In fact, the Roman poet Marshall wrote a short poem about a woman named Bassa and how he would rather smell sulfurous waters, a fish pond, an amorous goat. And I have to interject here, since I have never been a farmer or owned goats, I wouldn't know the difference between the smell of an amorous goat and an otherwise normal feeling goat, but it's an interesting comparison. Back to Marshall's poem, he also said that he would rather smell old shoes of a veteran soldier and a fleece twice dipped in Tyrian purple. That must be quite the insult to poor bassa but that gives us an insight into how strong Tyrian purple still smelled. Fashion was ever-changing back in the day, and the shades of purple that were sought after changed, but Pliny the Elder stated that the hottest, most on-trend shade was the color of coagulated blood, but when held up to the light, showed a crimson hue. Throughout antiquity, Tyrian purple was expensive, but for a while it wasn't just relegated to royalty. In the first millennium BC, rulers would give away cloth dyed in Tyrian purple to show just how important and rich they were. We've taken a look at what Tyrian purple is and Since the information is just so vast, I wanted to do it in two different episodes. The first one, just to give a little bit of background on what Tyrion Purple is, and in the next episode, we're going to see how it changed the world. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and be sure to check in next week where we have the final conclusion of Tyrion Purple. And as always, if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. And if you can, leave me a review. So until next week, stay safe.